Uh, it is always such a, such a joy to get together with the people of God on a Sunday morning and just praise Him together and, and to share in what God's doing in our lives and to be built up to go out and uh, live for Jesus all the more. Um, so today, uh, we're coming to this really special part of Luke's Gospel. Uh, it's uh, special because it's pass- this passage focuses on this really uh, intimate, this really important part of the Christian life that we call prayer. Uh, uh, now, maybe before I go on, I'll, I'll pray for us, because uh, who doesn't start a, a sermon on prayer with prayer? That's, that's crazy talk. Um, Jesus, we want to come before you today with the same prayer that your disciples, uh, the same request that your disciples made of you. Teach us to pray. Uh, we pray that you would, Lord, show us the identity of the one we pray to, and in that, build us as a people who are genuine and heartfelt and and persistent and shameless in prayer, who are ever coming to you, ever seeking you in prayer, and ever finding the joy of knowing that our 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 dad, our Heavenly Dad loves to hear us. So Lord, build us today through your word. Amen. So prayer, prayer, I don't know if you've noticed, is one of those things that a lot of different people have different ideas about. Uh, and it's almost unrecognizably different sometimes, depending on who's doing the praying. Uh, you know, just in our local area here, I've run into quite a bit of confusion about what prayer is and, and how that's meant to look. Uh, if a person hasn't prayed out loud before, they'll often ask you, you know, how, how do you do this? How, how are you meant to pray? Uh, are there special words that I need to pray? Is there a spe- special voice that I need to use to pray? Do I need to use my prayer voice? You know, uh, should I kneel? Should I stand? Should I sit? Should I close my eyes and bow my head? Should I open my eyes and look to heaven? You know, what does it mean to pray well? Almost everybody, this is interesting, almost everybody in their life, Christian or not, will pray at some point. Uh, And for those of us who are Christians, we're called by Scripture to pray without ceasing. So this is a really important question, isn't it? How do you pray well? And fortunately for us, Jesus isn't silent on this issue. Actually, uh, really... um, When you look at it, our passage comes to us in in these three chunks today. They're pretty obvious. If you've got one of our little Luke scripture journals, they actually have headings above each of them, which makes it nice and neat. Sometimes they don't separate that well like that. But but, and, and in a sense, the common theme through these three isn't just prayer. What, what actually binds these three parts together is actually the idea of relationship. What's underlined in this passage is the need for a living relationship with God. Uh, but, but Jesus is going to speak in this so much about prayer because our relationship with God is lived out in prayer. You know, if you have a relationship with someone, you talk to them. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And when we look at what it means to pray well as a Christian, what we're going to find is that prayer is not about the, the ritual, it's not about a special set of words that you must say or a certain posture or a certain tone. If right prayer is all about who you're praying to and about understanding who you are praying to. Now, 
Part one, our, our, our passage opens with this story. If you haven't opened it yet, when we have that reading, please do now. We're in Luke chapter 10 uh, and 11 by the end. We get this story about uh, the house of Mary and Martha and Jesus visiting them. And, and, it's, and it's this mere humorous scene when you picture it, isn't it? Uh, Martha's sister Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to him teach. Martha welcomes Jesus in, uh, but we read that she is distracted with much serving. The actual uh, word in the original language there is that she's pulled away with much serving. There are th she wants to be at the feet of Jesus, but she feels like there's these other things that need to get done first. And, and we should say not bad things, right? She's practicing hospitality. There are some things that the Bible says about that. She's cooking up a storm. She's making sure everything will be right for their guest. Uh, she's making a meal. She's kneading the dough. She's seasoning the vegetables. She's zooming past in the recording. Um, no, she's not really. Uh, she's, she's, she's cooking the roast, serving the table. On top of all that, she's making everything clean, making sure that there are three courses that will all come out in the right order, at the right temperature. And she's getting the dishes washed and so on, right? And we can kind of picture her, can't you, in, in the kitchen door, looking in at Jesus and, and, and I know this isn't how they structured their houses, but uh, Jesus and Mary in the, in the lounge room and she's kind of got the whisk and she's stirring and, uh, and, and she's getting more and more frustrated as she looks. She's, frustration builds because, because why isn't Mary, Mary here helping me with this job? Because if she did, then I could go and sit at Jesus' feet too. And eventually she bursts. And she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Come on, Jesus. And, and the answer is just a bit surprising. I don't know about you. I find it a bit of a surprise. Perhaps we might expect, what would we expect Jesus to say here? Gosh, you're right. Come on, get, get off the floor, woman. Um, oh, it's going on the internet. Um, Perhaps, perhaps we expect, you know, the uber humble answer from Jesus. No, 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 I'll do it. You two, you two sit. I'll prepare the food. I'll get everything ready. Um, but that's not it. That's not what Jesus says. In fact, he, he actually lovingly but clearly turns it back on Martha. Martha, Martha, he says, you're anxious about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. What, what she's doing is more important than what you're doing. Now, it wasn't like Martha was doing bad stuff, like we said. She was serving Jesus, actually. But, but what we, he says here, one thing is necessary, makes it really clear that sitting at the feet of Jesus is the top priority for anyone who follows him. What that means for us is that um, if you're a follower of Jesus, your relationship with him, your relationship with God comes before every other priority in your life without exceptions. In fact, it means that your relationship with God is your source for every other relationship and every other thing that you do. Everything is to flow out of that. Jesus doesn't say one thing is to be your top priority, Martha. He says one thing is necessary. You need this. 
And we, we do need this. We need relationship with God because for Christians, it is our source of life that we have been brought into this relationship with God. We are called to do everything else out of what we are getting from our relationship with God. So when we serve Jesus or others, that serving is to be rooted in the love that God is pouring into us, uh, allowing us to pour out ourselves to others. This, this relates to what, what Matt talked to us about last week, if you were here, when he talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? We need a Good Samaritan before we can be the Good Samaritan. We need Jesus to equip us to care for others. We need Jesus to love us before we are equipped to love others and to serve others and to serve God. That's, it's not just a once-off that that's describing. We need him every day, like we need food, actually. And trying to serve, that, it's an apt analogy, because trying to serve, trying to live out the, uh, the good actions of the Christian life without maintaining our relationship with God is very much like trying to work day by day without food. It doesn't go well. I don't know if you've given that a crack before. Um, the Christian life must look, must look more like dependence than service. I, th I, think, I think that might jar us even a little bit because we think of the Christian life as the life of serving. And don't get me wrong, we serve, but we serve out of what, how God has served us, which is a breathtaking thought. The Christian life must look more like dependence than service or it won't look like either of them. Now, don't get me wrong, we, we are called to be a people who serve, who serve the local church, who serve our brothers and sisters, who serve the world around us, who serve Jesus in all of this. But that just won't keep up if we lack the one thing that is necessary, the living relationship with God that feeds that service. Dependence on Jesus leads us to humbly serve others, do you see, out of what we receive from him. And so service without dependence actually leads to pride. Uh, we see a measure of this happening in, in Martha today in the passage. It leads to pride, bitterness, judgmentalism. Jesus, why aren't you getting that person to come and do these things that I'm doing? There is a, a peace in living in dependent relationship in G with Jesus, even if other people aren't pulling their weight. <laughs> Eventually, living living without dependence on Jesus, trying to serve, leads to giving up on serving. You know, I was, I was talking to a fellow young parent uh, recently, not a follower of Jesus, just a, just a friend, and, and they, they asked how we can go on loving our kids. Kids, I'm so sorry about saying this in front of you. Um, you know, even when they're frustrating, even when uh, they don't let you sleep uh, and they don't care about the efforts that you put into them, how can you keep on going with that, right? Uh, and if you're not a parent here today and, and maybe you've been thinking it's all kind of just happy-go-lucky, happy picnics in the park, so on and so forth, uh, you know, I'm... I'm Ta-da! Uh, it's, it's a bit of a slog sometimes and it is a really common experience I've found among young parents to get discouraged about the, the lack of give in the relationship. Um, to feel like your tanks run out. And the only answer that I could give to this friend was that having a relationship with God is how I get through. It's all I've got. 
Uh, I receive so much from him, so much care that I'm equipped to go on loving my kids. And I do love them. It's not, not a begrudging thing. But, but do you see, God's love for us equips us in love for others. We must live in dependence on him. We need to find time. We need to spend time at the feet of Jesus. It's our, our greatest regular need as people. We, we must invest ourselves in the relationship with God that has been won for us at such a great cost at the cross. It would be madness to do anything else. And so before we move on, we kind of got these, these two questions we should address. First, what are the things for you that distract or that, that pull you away from the feet of Jesus? What are the things that make you anxious, that keep you from spending time with him? You know, we, we will always have something that wants to. For some people, hobbies get out of hand and the, the relationship that should have come first comes second to, to quilting or to what happens in the shed or to a sport or to computers or to whatever, you know? I'm, you know, what does that say if my, if my pastime is more important than spending time with the God that I claim to worship? Maybe, maybe some here relate a bit closely to Martha's struggle, right? Um, you'd spend time with Jesus, but only if the house got together. Uh, I'm, I'm probably the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm too bad at getting the house together. But, uh, you know, if the washing was clean, then, then I could get to him. If the food was cooked and the jobs were done, well, then I could have time to spend with Jesus. You know, there must come a time for us when we deliberately, intentionally set those things aside. Let it be dirty and sit at the feet of Jesus. Or, or better still, come to him before you go to those things, you know. Let him rule your heart, not the worries of today rule your heart. It can even be uh, things like, and I think this is really clear in this passage, like serving your local church. Now, I don't want to discourage you from serving your local church. That's really counter to what I'm about. But, but it's a terrible and a common thing when a person gets so involved in ministry, so committed to the small group that they run or so, so uh, committed to the ministry that they run that... <laughs> It can be anything, you know, to the sermon that they preach week in, week out, to the hospitality or admin ministry that they've been handed, that they decide to prioritise that over the relationship with Jesus. It kills both. Uh, whatever it is, here's a reality in this world. There will always be priorities pulling at your time. Things that demand to be done, that say that they cannot wait that lay claim on us and threaten to overwhelm us if we don't address them right now. And they're not all bad things, but we must be sure that the good portion, the one thing that is necessary, is first. Second question, practically, what does it mean for us to sit at the feet of Jesus? You know, today, we can't actually go and sit at his physical feet. That's a bit challenging. Um, what does it mean? And, and, he speak, uh, and, and what we find is he does speak to us in this world. He speaks to us by his word. Um, he leads us by his spirit. You know, we need to spend time in his word. 
as people, make sure we make time for that, not just give it the odds and ends or nothing at all. He speaks to us through a spirit-empowered community of people as well. Make time for the people of God in your life. They're your family. Perhaps most importantly, we, we meet him in prayer. If, we don't, if we're not a praying people, then, then we're throwing aside a, an enormous gift. We're throwing aside living in dependence on the love that God pours on us. And so what comes next here is really apt, isn't it? Um, the disciples, they see Jesus praying in a place. And, and, and they've heard other people teach their disciples about prayer. John the Baptist has taught his disciples about prayer. There would have been an abundance of people teaching different ways to pray. So they make that all-important request. Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, I've, I've made that my first prayer a few times this week. <laughs> teach me to pray. I'm still learning. And Jesus says, when you pray, say this. And what Jesus says next is simultaneously shockingly revolutionary and deeply practical. Uh, and we should understand what he says, not as this specific magic set of words, uh, but as a, as a framework, as a guide that leads us and orientates us in prayer. And as is often the case in the Bible, the word that we might skip over is, is the most vital one we get here. All of the foundations of Christian prayer can be found as we excavate the first word of the Lord's Prayer in Luke. Jesus says, Father, no, stop there. Um, this, this is one of those ones where I was tempted to say, you know what, blow it, we'll do seven sermons here. Um, but I'm not going to preach you seven sermons worth of link today, be comforted. Um, what Jesus has just said would have blown the minds of the disciples. It would have been completely unique in his day, completely different to what the disciples could have expected him to say. Do you know, out of the kind of roughly just over 620,000 words in the Old Testament, uh, God is referred to as Father 14 times, and, and all of them, two or one, refers to him in kind of a, a father of the people of God sense, rather than a personal father sense. And, and that's remarkable, even there, that you would call God the father of the people of God. Uh, but, but still, you know, somewhat distant in use compared to what happens here. It's funny, I, I, I think actually the word father now doesn't communicate very well what's being said here, in a way. Uh, there was this stage that, uh, Owen, I meant to ask you about saying this in church, sorry. Um, There's this stage that Owen went through at one point where he called me father in this kind of tongue-in-cheek hilarious way it was great i actually loved it um but he would come up to me and, and be like father may i please go and jump on the trampoline he'd put on a voice for it and everything um and 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 it was funny because it felt so strangely formal right like like we don't typically call our dads father we imagine kind of people who own a manor calling their father's father and and the rest of us call our dads dad and, and, and that's, that's, it's just the opposite of what we see here, that formal father word. Uh, most commentators think that the Greek word that Luke writes here is, uh, I, I, sh I need to explain this, don't I? Um, Luke writes in Greek, Jesus spoke in the language Aramaic. Um, 
And I think that the Greek word that Luke wrote here is, is there in place of what Jesus would have said being Abba. Uh, now, not the, not the Waterloo band, uh, just in case. Uh, no, Abba is this deeply personal term. Um, it's this very, very personal, very dear word that a child would use for their father. Actually, even that an adult would use for their father. It doesn't, it doesn't directly translate into our language very well because we have kind of those words for kids, but we don't use them typically for adults. Um, some people have, have called it a bit like saying, Daddy. Uh, I, think, I think in Australian culture, it's more like Dad. Uh, but depending on how you're using that word. It's the affectionate, it's the, the intimate term for father. Sort of like how a child talks to their dad, but this, uh, this word worked across the age ranges. And, and that's not just something that was mind-blowing to them because of a cultural norm in their day. It, it should be mind-blowing to anyone because of who God is, right? The God of the Bible is the king of the universe. He is the creator of the cosmos as assembler of the stars, right? And of the galaxies and of the universe and of life, judge of all creation. <laughs> and for those of us who follow Jesus, who have been saved by his grace, we get to call him dad. How nuts is that? I yeah, Ephesians 1.5 says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons or sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Through the loving, saving work of Jesus on the cross, those who believe are born into a new family. We are children of God. And a side note here, massive side note, if you don't know that, that joy of being God's child, then, then start here, right? Um, start there with your prayers. Pray for him to give you faith and to save you from your sin and make you his child. But for the rest of us, this is, this is the basis for Christian prayer. This is, this is the foundation of Christian prayer. It's that we don't pray to a distant deity or even to a, a cold, unloving father. When we pray, we're speaking to our dad. I do wonder if we do ourselves a disservice. Um, if we get it wrong, we give the wrong impression and we get the wrong impression when we say father to a world that is now used to that being a bit of a formal distant term. And so having given us that foundation, Jesus now uh, gives these five requests, five prayers of petition to send to God. And if Abba, if Dad is the foundation of Christian prayer, these are the priorities of Christian prayer, right? And as we just briefly head through these, I'll just do the, the, the briefest explanation I can of each of them and, and, uh, uh, um, and then offer a few examples uh, of how that might look. Uh, but really, this is going to be very limited. Uh, you, could, you could see these pan out in a thousand di different directions for each of these prayers. And ask, ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself these two questions as we go. Is this a subject that frequents my prayers? Does this make appearances all the time? You don't need to pray these exact 
words we've said, but is this thing a thing that I pray for, that is on my heart? I, I, I think for many of us, we'll see some here where we say, yeah, that comes up all of the time. And others that are more like, oh yeah, that is a good thing to pray for, isn't it? Second question, is this subject close to my heart? And really, they're the same question from different angles. But because if Jesus calls us to pray for it, then it means these are probably five key areas of the Christian heart, of our desires. Five key desires and points of trust in God that every follower of Jesus should hold. So first, he says, hallowed be your name. Yeah, there's a reason this one comes first. Uh, the, the nature of coming to faith in God is that we have come to see the supreme worth of who God is. We see and increasingly see that he is glorious, that he is holy. And so we pray that his name would be hallowed, that his name would be glorified and revered by all. It's, it's interesting that, that he says, hallowed be your name, because he's actually just given us a name for God, hasn't he? He's just said, Abba, Dad, we are to pray for God to be revered in this world, but not as a distant deity, but as a personal, loving, yet also almighty Dad. A couple of examples of how this might look in our prayer lives might be when we pray, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my examples here with the word Dad, not least of all, because I want to get into the practice of using that, because I think that's what Jesus tells us to do. Dad, let that neighbour of mine know that you are the good dad that loves them. Let them come to faith and see you as you are. Or, Dad, I know that you are glorious and good and excellent, but I don't feel it this week. Please return me to that sense of your glory that I once had. Hallow your name in my heart. Number two here, your kingdom come. You know, this one is a prayer for now and for the future as well. Um, when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are asking that his reign and his rule would be known, that people would come to trust him. But we're also praying for the return of Jesus, for that final realization, final revealing of the kingdom of God that it would come, that he would return, like, like John prays at the end of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, uh, and that everything would be made right at his coming. This comes out when we pray, Dad, in our region, in, let your kingdom grow. Let there be a movement of the spirit, spirit that brings many to faith from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life that is in you, from rebellion against you to the joy that is in you, the joy of knowing and following you. Even, you know, and here's one I'd encourage you to pray a bit, a lot in the next three weeks specifically. Lord, through this Alpha course that we're running, let your kingdom come into the lives of many. Let your kingdom come into the life of this family that I'm going to ask. Let it come in through the gospel words from my mouth, Lord. I, I don't believe I'm able, but I believe you are, so let your kingdom come. Or, Dad, Abba, come soon. 
Send Jesus again to right the wrongs, to end the suffering and the destruction and the sin of this world and to make it new. There's a prayer for hard times and good times. Next, give us today, give us each day our daily bread. I love that Jesus puts this next. It says something. He hits the two biggest things that there are, the glory of God and the growth of his kingdom. And then he says, and ask God for bread for each day. Because you know what that tells us, right? God cares intensely about our our needs, our small, our physical daily needs. When his people go hungry, he cares. When our table is full, it is by his hand. And this isn't just food. Jesus is saying, uh, bring your needs to God. He cares for you. Nothing is too small for you to bring to him. And the fact that we are to pray daily for our daily bread uh, means that this is both a prayer of need and of trust. Now, how often are we tempted to think more about you know, the next 30 days and, or the next year or the next 10 years and to pray, God, please uh, you know, have it all together for, so that I can see how it's all together now so that I'll be at peace now and yet that's not what it is um praying for today's bread means that i must trust him also to provide for tomorrow and to provide for it when it comes it means i don't need everything piled up today just provide what i need now and help me not to fret for then you know this can look like so many things dad i'm i'm so weary so tired out by my work and by my life please provide me with rest well dad I'm, I'm worried about how we will make our home payment next week please please provide and please give me trust not to fret give me peace in your gospel even though there are storms in this world you know, it's such a powerful comfort to know that God cares for daily needs some some, some of you know already that this last week, uh, Crystal and I uh, got word that one of our Compassion Kids, I, I mentioned this briefly earlier in the service, Batoya is her name. Um, her, her mum died. Uh, we just found out. Um, she's 16. Uh, now, I don't know if you remember how you were when you were 16, but if that had happened to me when I was 16, I mean, if that happened to me now, I'd be railroaded by it. Um, her dad's disabled, she's working hard to get through her education, and yet um, you know, this must be such a weight for her. Such a, a terrible thing for a young girl to face, right? You know, I felt so grieved by that when I found out. Um, there have been tears spilled about that more than once this week on my part. I felt so powerless to provide in that situation. Writing letters on a page really just felt so insufficient. The only real comfort I had was in knowing that there was a God who cared for her daily needs, in being able to hand this over to God and to pray for him to bring comfort to her and, and peace in this terrible storm for her. It's a powerful thing 
to know that God cares for the daily needs of his people. Forgive us our sins. You know, I think this is probably about the most challenging prayer for us because Jesus flatly conditions it. I don't know if you noticed that there. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. If you're like me, so committed to grace, then, then you might read these words and struggle a bit. You know, point of confession here, I genuinely read them trying to figure out how Jesus could not be saying that forgiveness is only for those who forgive. And to be honest, I, I don't think you can. I don't, I don't think it's there. I also don't believe, though, that this is contrary to God's free grace. The point here is that for those who trust in Jesus, those who already call on him, on God as father, as dad, the grace we receive doesn't just uh, optionally empower us to forgive. It must empower us to forgive. You know, Matthew 18, Jesus tells us a parable about this exact situation, right? Uh, a man owes the equivalent of kind of 200,000 years worth of wages. And uh, yeah, it's, it's something around $17 billion today-ish. That's just based on the rough Australian daily income. Um, and, the, and the man he owes forgives him the debt only for him to then go out and attack a guy who owes him the equivalent, modern-day equivalent, of about $23,000. Now, now, the second debt is a big debt. You know, we might struggle to forgive people because people have really wronged us sometimes. We don't diminish that, but it's never going to compare. It's, it's, it's just over 1% of 1% of 1% of his own debt that has been forgiven. That's us. The point is, we have been forgiven so much more than we will ever be required to forgive. Daily we're forgiven more. The grace we have received, it must lead us to be people of grace, to be people who forgive. Doesn't mean it's easy to forgive. Usually takes prayer in and of itself. But the people who call on the judge of the human race as dad through sheer grace are led to forgive every sin against us. You know, if that's something you're struggling with, actually that's okay. Um, we do struggle with this and struggling to forgive is, a, is actually in some ways a good sign <laughs> because you're struggling to forgive. It means you're not just giving in and not forgiving. You know, and if, if that's you, come and have a chat to me about this afterwards. Let's have a, have a talk about grace. Let's be the people of God who can talk to each other about the challenges in our lives. The prayers of greatest struggle can happen here, right? When we cry out, Dad, forgive me, I've fallen into the same sin again. Or, Dad, I want to forgive all as you have forgiven so much of me. Please help me to forgive this person who's wronged me, who opposes me. To have your heart of grace towards them, even regardless of what their heart is towards me.
Finally, he says, lead us not into temptation. Yeah, this is, this is a challenging one because, because God isn't the tempter. Uh, James tells us that in not many words. Uh, God tempts no one to sin. And yet our experience is temptations. Um, like raise your hand if you haven't run into temptations to sin. We'd have to need to have a really serious conversation after this if you did. Um, in fact, if you remember back in our first Peter series, if you were here with us for that, they are a part of the fire that refines us. We see them in the life of Jesus. Jesus was tempted and proven by coming through temptations unscathed. Every Christian ever has been tempted. Every person ever has been tempted. And not always for want of prayer against temptations. The implication that I think we need to see here is that we ask God, lead us not into temptation, keep us through temptation. We pray that temptation would not be the end of us. And, and certainly we can pray to be released of certain temptations. Uh, there, there's a goodness in that. We pray that God would keep us from that situation that we find so difficult, so overwhelming. But, but how often, honestly, how often is our experience that victory doesn't come with being removed from the situation, that that just leads to being tempted with something else, but with experiencing victory over the temptation? And so this, this is our five points, our five areas of prayer. I hope that's kind of given you thoughts on, on your own prayer life. And, and, and having given us the, the shape of Christian prayer and, and founded it on the fact that Jesus, uh, that, sorry, that God is our dad, Jesus gives us these, these two hypothetical situations to wrap up his teaching on prayer. And I'm just going to whip through these. Um, honestly, this could be a couple of sermons in itself. We're going to give it less than a third of one. These two would, would make great study material for you at some point. Um, you could go into all kinds of depth here. Today, having done the study, uh, promise, uh, I'm going to just give you the thrust of it. Really, the, these two parables really just hammer home the big point anyway. Prayer is all about who you're praying to. You know, the first hypothetical is about uh, a guy going and beating down a friend's door in the middle of the night because of a need. He's got a friend who's visiting. He needs food for that friend. He doesn't have any Doritos on the shelf uh, and, or maybe something healthier. Uh, and there is really one key word in this, this parable that, that really, for me, sums up the point. Uh, the main point of this parable, and, and, and we, get, we get it when Jesus says this. This is uh, verse 8. He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. That word there, impudence, uh, easily translatable as shamelessness. <laughs> and that's, that's the key, that is a key characteristic of Christian prayer. Particularly, we are shamelessly persistent in prayer you know we get that that sequence there of uh, after this of um whoever asks whoever seeks knock and the door will be opened you know and that's a that's a that's a picture of persistence of an increasing persistence asking seeking knocking and and we are called to this shamelessness 
to, to lack any shame in coming to God with our needs again and again. Hello, Charlie. Um, with praying for the salvation of certain people for years and for years because God's our Abba. He's our dad. He loves us. And not just that, but it is the relationship with him. It is in sitting at the feet of Jesus that we find life. So we're not ashamed. We have no shame in coming to him persistently for even the smallest things. You know, Tim Keller uh, said this thing that is, um, only one person wakes up a king at two o'clock in the morning for a glass of water. You know, the child. That's the kind of access we have. And, and finally, he gives us this last hypothetical that says that even bad fathers know how to give good gifts. And the point, once again, is that God is our good father who loves us. And he gives us the greatest gifts. He even pours out his own spirit at his people's praying. Now, I want to I finish today um, by, by sharing something to encourage you from my own life. Uh, I know, uh, sorry, I, I have not always been the greatest prayer myself. Um, maybe that's an experience you relate to. It's a thing that God has been growing in me over, over a long time. But in these last two weeks, I feel like I've been beaten about the head with the power and the necessity of prayer. Um, there have been these really vivid moments where God has just hammered for me the, the, the need for it. That I've either desperately had to pray or when God has unexpectedly, lavishly responded to prayer. And to give you one example, I, I prayed recently with a person from this church uh, that God would be doing things right here in our community, bringing people to salvation in our region in our time, was, was the wording, something like that. And the next day, you know, I'm just going about my business at work and, and someone comes to me and starts a conversation that comes to the point of, oh, I feel like there's a hole inside of me that needs filling. What can I do about that? Um, it's like God was saying, you know what? Just see what I can do. And I'm just getting started. <laughs> Let me encourage you. Um, follow the Savior in prayer. Prayer is the life-giving dialogue of our relationship with our glorious dad. Prayer is powerful. Step out in faith in prayer this week. Imagine what would happen if in the lead up to this upcoming Alpha course, God's people all prayed daily for God to work with saving power through it. Ask your heavenly father... How much more will, he, will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants us to step out in trust in him and to live as a people of prayer, to live as his children. Would you pray with me now? God, I know the faithlessness of my heart sometimes.
how at times my prayer has um, waned, how it has been brief, how it has been formulaic. And yet you are so faithful and so faithful to bring your children back gently and kindly and powerfully and to bring us to the feet of Jesus in prayer. Lord, make us at Gospel Church here a praying people, a people who love, who look forward to our time of prayer with you, who pray without ceasing. Like when you read a good book and you just want to get back to it. Make us a people who are just looking for those times when we can sit down to it and who set aside time for it because we love you and we know you've loved us so greatly, Dad. So we pray, Dad, that your name be known as holy in this world. Let your kingdom grow. Build our hearts to love our King and to long for your return, Jesus, and bring more into your kingdom here. Provide our needs and lead us to trust that you will. Forgive us our sins. Lord, we forgive those who sin against us and we ask that you give us the power to live in that. To forgive. Lead us not into temptations, but through them all, to the end, to the day when we stand with you at your return. Lord, make us a people of prayer. Thank you that you have become our dad. In Jesus' name, amen.